So what the heck is monkeypox? And did the CEO of Pfizer really talk about how excited he was about a potential pill that as it dissolved would have a small microchip that could inform authorities on whether or not you had taken it. Not to mention the fact that the World Health Organization is considering some amendments that the Biden administration has left it, which has a lot of people concerned about the potentials for affecting U.S. sovereignty. We're going to discuss all of that on more on this episode of Making the Argument, where we make the argument to defend a free society. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoy it, be sure to let us know in the comments on YouTube and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And I think Spotify just opened up reviews as well. So if you're listening on Spotify, leave us a review there too. Thank you. All right. As always, I'm your host, Nick Freitas, member of the Virginia House of Delegates. But other than that, a good person. We have with me my beautiful bride, Tina, queen of the bees. Uh, hello, everyone. Our resident historian, political prognosticator, and not quite as you know mean looking now that his hair is grown back, <laughs> Christian Hines. Hey. And then, of course, producer of producer, the man that makes it happen behind the scenes and sometimes on the scene, Nicholas Hamilton, the good Hamilton, not the one that likes central banking. That's correct. Thank you, Nick. Pleasure right. to be here. Well, today we've got a lot to go over, and um, I, I really want to. We, we got some articles, we got some tweets, we got some other things to be able to show you. And, and the, the larger discussion that we're having today is with respect to why is it that so many people no longer trust the government when it comes to medical issues? And a lot of you are going to say to yourself, I already know why I don't trust the government. And, and we're going to get to that. But there's some more things happening right now on both the national and the international stage that we really need to discuss because you can already anticipate what's going to be happening in the future. And the moment I start to see the press and the fact checkers coming out going, oh, there's all these conspiracy theories about monkeypox or the World Health Organization. I'm like, oh, conspiracy theories or Things that we will find out were true six to 12 months from now. So we're going to try to, we're going to read through all of this. And the first thing that we're going to talk about is this whole idea of monkeypox and what exactly is it? Well, I want to go ahead and, and make sure that we're, you know, we're at least uh, seeing what the CDC has to say about it. I think this is one where hopefully they don't get it too wrong, but the CDC says that monkeypox was first discovered in 1958 when two outbreaks of a pox-like disease all right, occurred in colonies of monkeys kept for research, hence the name monkeypox. The first human case of monkeypox was recorded in 1970 in the Democratic Republic of Congo during a period of intensified effort to eliminate smallpox. Since then, monkeypox has been reported in humans in other Central and Western African countries. And to give you an idea a little bit more, it's monkeypox virus is transmitted from one person to another by close contact with lesions Bodily, bodily fluids, respiratory droplets, and contaminated materials such as bedding. The incubation period of monkeypox is usually between 6 to 13 days, but can range from 5 to 21. But So that's an idea of, of what it is, right? What monkeypox is. And obviously, if, you, if you're actually watching, you can see the pictures. This looks horrible. It looks, looks a lot like smallpox with respect to just, or chickenpox with pox all over your body. Um, what's interesting, the reason why this is becoming you know, more news outside of Africa right now as we've seen a lot of cases. And, and again, this is a relative term. It's a lot of cases with respect to what you usually see in Europe. And we're starting to see a couple here in the United States. And so a big question has been, how did this actually happen? Because this is one of those, this is one of those diseases that exists within animals and now is transferring over to humans, right? And there's a couple different ways that that can obviously happen. Bites, number of other things we won't go into. But I want to go to this article right now by NBC News. Uh, NBC, yeah, was, let me see. Yeah, NBC News. And um, 
this says this this title struck us. I had somebody send this to me. It says monkeypox likely spread by sex at two raves in Europe. Expert says so. This is Doctor David Hyman, who formerly headed WHO's emergencies department, said the leading theory was sexual transmission transmission among gay and bisexual men at two raves head, held in Spain and Belgium. And now they're starting to see you know the spread go from with with they think they've located with these two raves. Over there now, what's interesting for what we're talking about today is how Biden is already coming out saying this is something that we should all be concerned about, and we're already ordering vaccines, and all of us are wondering, are we on the precipice of yet more lockdowns, medical restrictions, required vaccinations because of monkeypox? The only reason why Biden says that this is something we all need to be worried about is because he's the one handling it. <laughs> Honestly, this man cannot. Uh, handle things well. And, and he might also be a little concerned about Hunter, who has pretty sketchy uh, past there. He might, you know, oh he might turn up with it, might end up in the White House. You so know? Right, right off the bat, Tina from the top ropes, as soon as, as soon as we read an article saying that this has been spread at various raves where, let's just say, some irresponsible activity was going on, and we still don't know what's on Hunter Biden's laptop. This actually <laughs> might have been caused by Hunter Biden. I thought we did know what was on his laptop. Well, Wasn't not all of it. Scandal? Not oh all of it. I, okay, so it the, hasn't all been released yet. The, the biggest I bet you it's monkeypox. Mark my words, everybody. Monkeypox. This is we're going to add to the conspiracy theory that could be fact checked by Politifact. Tina is now <laughs> predicting that monkeypox was actually started by Hunter, Hunter Biden. Biden. Um, biggest question that I've got is. How did this get from the Democratic Republic of the Congo to Belgium? Actually, that 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 question answers itself. I just realized. Yeah. Well, I will. <laughs> I, I will say. How did this get the, from the Congo to Belgium? Well, there Belgium is did once like <laughs> massacre and dominate the Congo. You guys, Al Jazeera actually says that the UN. This is a headline here. UN denounces racist and homophobic coverage of monkeypox. How is this? Probably, probably because, well, I don't know about... Probably well, because the origin being in in Africa, in Africa I guess. Yeah, I mean, But that, that's I not mean, racist. That's like, just geography. Ebola emerged in Africa. That doesn't mean that the virus is racist. In fact, I think Ebola actually emerged from the same country that monkeypox. Well, and it, it's, a, it's the same thing. So we actually saw this with, like, when the when there was the AIDS epidemic, right? Mm -hmm. There was, I mean, and which... So you, when you want to find some interesting stuff, go look at what Fauci was saying about the AIDS epidemic early on because he was still, he was running things back then Didn't as well. he say he thought it could be airborne? Uh, I think he's something along those lines. I can't remember specifically what something. he said. But the, the argument was is that, you know, a, a lot of a lot of the various communities and whatnot that were the hardest hit through the AIDS epidemic, and, and it wasn't, you know, it obviously it wasn't anybody that was homosexual. It was largely anybody that was participating in... Um, basically really risky sexual behavior. Okay. So, and, and intravenous drug use, right? Those, those were the two groups that were the hardest hit by AIDS because of how it was transmitted. Mm -hmm. It was transmitted larded by, you know, again, bodily fluids, you know, blood transfusions, things like that. And if, if you pointed that out, right, that was automatically considered to be, you know, homophobic or you were trying to stigmatize someone. What, what I find interesting about this is that, okay, if, if we want to follow the science and the science is suggesting, and again, this could change, maybe it was something else, right? I'm not claiming this is what it was. But if the science was suggesting that a disease, which is generally transmitted from one person to another person by close contact with lesions, bodily fluids, respiratory droplets, et cetera. So obviously sexual activity would, would be a, 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 
you know, method of transmission here. Mm-hmm. And they're pointing it back to two parties or raves where it turns out a lot of indiscriminate, I would argue, highly irresponsible sexual activity was going between among among a bunch of people that probably didn't know each other that well. And apparently drug use, you said, right? I, I don't know about the drug use. Okay. Drug, um, but if, if that was happening there, well then, okay, yeah, if, if you're engaging in these sort of activities, which are, you know, highly likely to facilitate transmission, well then, yeah, that's, I don't think it's homophobic or sexist or racist or anything else to point out that, hey, a disease that transmits like largely through bodily fluid and close contact, maybe, maybe you shouldn't have random sex with people you don't know. So I, I know that's a lot to ask. No, fair enough. I mean, <laughs> I, I've got a big question in all this, and I know that this is a little bit out of the ordinary because usually Hamilton is the one that asks the big questions here. Yeah. Um, but I personally have a question about this, and I have been following this not as much as maybe I guess I should have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that there's a lot of Americans out there that haven't really been following this story. I mean, they've been following it in the sense that they've heard it probably once or twice in the news or maybe on YouTube or something like that. Well, but y- you're you're not following it because you're not a big hugger. It's <laughs> You don't have to be too worried. Yeah, you're, not, I, you're not a hugger and you don't, you know. I'm, a, I'm not a drug addict either. You don't go to right. a lot of raves in yeah, Spain or Berlin. I don't right. even leave my room. But um, <laughs> no, like, so... Th- I think that the average American, especially the average like conservative that's watching this show, they might have heard of the term, right? right? They might have heard, you know, Joe Biden go out there and say the stuff that he said, but they're probably thinking to themselves, okay, but why should I care? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to raves or I'm not shooting up with drugs and I'm not having sex with multiple people um, at parties. So why should I care about this? And I think that there's, I think there's an answer to this, but I, I, I like that's where I'm coming from is why is this a topic that, you know, conservatives should, should be aware of and pay attention to at all? Because it is two things, I think. Now, listen, anytime you have somebody, I, I don't care. I don't care what the circumstances were with, with somebody, you know, catching a, a disease. We want that person to be able to receive help and medical attention and whatever they need like that, re- regardless of how it happened. But we also want to know, okay, how do, how do these things happen? How do they spread? How do they become problematic, et cetera? And we also want an honest, you know, scientific approach to this. We don't want the government saying, oh, well, we, because we're afraid of a particular stigma, stigma, uh, you know, uh, stigmatizing someone, we don't want to be honest about what's going on. I, I think that's irresponsible. There's a responsible way to go about doing it, Right. But the big question I have is, one, is this being used? Because this this doesn't strike me, and I don't claim to be an expert, but this doesn't strike me as something that is going to have like pandemic level. Um, March 2020. Yes, consequences. Right. Where we're I don't know, down. because C, uh, CNBC reported just five hours ago that Belgium becomes first country to introduce mandatory monkeypox quarantine as global cases rise. Really? So I, I really do feel like government's, have really tapped into giving themselves extra power and ways to do that. And I think that pandemics and outbreaks and things of that nature are uh, just their latest best way to um, establish dominance and control. And who was it? Was it, um, uh, was it Bastiat? Something about letting your freedoms go um, under the guise of, of, 
help or public safety? Oh, Franklin. Franklin, Franklin yeah. said, you oh, know, Franklin? those who would give up essential liberty for security will get neither liberty nor No, security. that's not the one. Uh, I'll find it. it. <laughs> but anyway, it, it is interesting that, um, that it is just fast forward to let's quarantine. Let's, well, you know, now who knows I will say if they're going to. In Belgium, what they're doing differently is that they're actually doing a quarantine because what a quarantine is, is someone is sick and now we're isolating them from people who are not sick. Yeah, maybe we have is, a different definition of quarantine nowadays because we all used to think, oh, we all have to quarantine because we don't know who might be sick. I so remember, everyone's quarantined. I remember March 2020 when it was like, you can't leave your house. Yeah. Everything's yeah. shut. Even if you want to leave your house, everything's closed. So yeah. there's no point. And I, I mean, I'm old enough to remember, and I'm not that old. I'm old enough to remember that we used to quarantine sick people, not healthy people. And that, in my opinion, was that alongside with the policies that we did with schooling were probably the two single biggest and printing $5 trillion yeah. were the three single biggest mistakes that was made during the COVID pandemic. So, I mean, well, so, but to your point, I think Tina's right in the sense that the reason why you should be concerned about this, even if it's something that we kind of recognize, it, it this isn't COVID, right? We're not talking about like an airborne uh, disease that is highly transmissible just by being in the same space with another person, right? This is something that, that appears to require a lot more direct physical contact. But the reason why you should be concerned about it is because what will the government use as justification to do things that they want to do? Yeah. And and that's that's what this has come down to. And our audience obviously very much cares about that topic. Yes, because it, you know the the whole never let a crisis go go to waste, mm -hmm. right? Was started with this whole you know economic downturn when you had the former chief of staff of President Obama kind of getting caught saying that it was like this is an opportunity to drastically change the way that we do things. Well, COVID obviously presented probably the largest opportunity, at least in my lifetime. Right, second only to like, or not even second, but the other one in my lifetime that drastically changed things was 9-11. With respect to the government taking an incredible amount of power in order to deal with an issue and then never giving the power back or just looking for other excuses in order to keep or expand the power. That is something that I think, regardless of the topic or issue, yeah. in this case, we're talking about monkeypox. I, I mean, just a few years ago, it was covid 12 years, 14 years ago, it was the great economic crash in 2008, you know, going, going back 20 years, it was 9-11. Whether it's terrorist attacks, economic, you know, crashes, pandemics, whatever it is, I think that people on the right, not universally, but largely, I think, recognize that whenever there is a, so to speak, crisis that's going on, even if it's a legitimate crisis, Governments love to use those as an opportunity to monopolize power in their own hands. And then when the crisis goes away, shocker, the yeah. powers don't actually go away. It's been 20 years since, I mean, to your point, it's been 20 years since 9-11 and yet the Patriot Act is still around. The, yeah. the authorization of the use of force, I mean, we're still debating that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I mean, part of the reason that Biden's in the position where he's in is because of the disastrous pullout of Afghanistan, which was a 20 year long war. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and you're going to see you saw the same thing with the 2008 crisis from a financial standpoint. And we talked about this in a previous episode just recently. The Federal Reserve's balance sheet is still in the yeah. trillions, whereas before the crash, it was about 900 billion. Yeah. So who knows what? you know, we're going to see out of well, and, the, and, and, the consequences, the long-term consequences of first COVID and maybe this. Well, and, and again, I don't think it's, I don't think that they're trying to make this into COVID. I think what it is, is they're trying to, they have to keep people constantly worried about whatever is coming next in order to justify 
the taking of certain power and then the expansion of certain power. Now, it doesn't mean that monkeypox is not a genuine concern on some level. It's a question of how they will take a particular concern and then exacerbate it or, or just you know, blow it out of proportion in order to justify them having more power. Like that's, that's the general concern with this. And when you start to have the president of the United States coming out and talking about it, something we need to all be concerned about. And, you know, we just ordered millions of vaccines, everything else. Part of that could be hypersensitivity with respect to, you know, COVID. The other part of this is no, this is, <laughs> they, they kind of look at this as anytime that there is a problem, they have to have more money, they, money, they have to have more power, they have to have more authority. And every time something like this comes up, it, can be used as justification for that. Now, I will say this. On the other hand, it's also important to make citizens aware of this because we have a lot of citizens that seem to think that every time there is a problem, well, what's the government doing about it? You know, what, what's the president's response to this? Oh, yeah. It's not even just government. It's what's the federal government's response yeah, to yeah. it. Any problem. And that's the thing. that We were talking about this actually not too long ago. That it, it, it For some reason, it's like 95% of the issues that exist in society, some somehow needed not just a government solution a federal government solution yeah, yeah, yeah. um i i've got one last question actually because i know that we've got another uh a, another related oh, this topic next that we want to jump good. into this next one's good do we know it it sounds like and, and i could be totally wrong i'm not a doctor i'm not an expert on this i'm just asking the question it sounds like this is somewhat similar somewhat similar to aids in the 80s mm -hmm. What is, if if at all, do we know like what the mortality rate of this is? Uh, no, nothing like with AIDS. So is it just yeah. like a, a case of like the chicken pox kind of? I mean, of, from, from what I understand, it can be fatal, but it, it's not like for, for a long time, AIDS was a death sentence. Um, and obviously there's been a lot of medical breakthroughs and whatnot with respect to to treating it and, and whatnot. From what, I, from what I understand and what I've read, you know, can it be fatal? Yes. We don't have any case. We don't have any fatalities I know of so far. Like at the time that we're recording this, I don't know of any fatalities that have been reported in Europe. People have gotten sick. They've had to have it treated, etc. NBC News is reporting that in recent years the disease has has been fatal in up to six percent yeah. of infections, but no deaths have been reported among the current cases. Okay, so, all right. I mean, there there you go. Okay, a six six percent mortality rate. That's higher than COVID. That, that is actually. I better not say that too loud. We're actually kind of glad that it doesn't than spread COVID through the air then because that's actually where you would get a bunch of people panicking. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say that uh, I just go back to my original statement that I believe the reason Biden says that this is a problem that everyone should be concerned about is that by the time he's done handling this, it will be airborne and we will all catch it because it's Biden and he the, mishandles uh, everything. What was the quote? Was it Milton Freeman kidding, who said, if you put the federal government in charge of the Sahara Desert, you'd have a shortage of sand, sand in yeah. five years? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, before we move on, the Biden administration does not have anything to lose by getting people concerned about this and then nothing happening. Oh, but, yeah, because then they could take credit. Right. Yeah. But if they say nothing about it. And then and something then, happens. Then they'll say, oh, well, the Biden administration, you know. Well, no, that, it's a, no, it's no. a lose-lose situation right. or a win. If you come out ahead of the yeah. gate and you, you I don't want to say fear monger, but you make people aware of this. You make them worried. You make them ask a bunch of questions. And then it blows over and nothing happens. Yeah. Well, it's then suddenly well you could do a victory lap and be like, it's because of our leadership. That, oh, yeah. Give me a break. Like, it, But... Like that's how politics. We know how the game is played. Yeah. We know exactly that that's that's what politicians, not all of them, but that's what many politicians do. They preemptively will make a claim, and then if it doesn't play out, they'll take credit for it. Yeah, they'll take credit that it's because of their uh, response to it that it didn't become the problem that it otherwise would have been. Well, not to mention the fact that the Biden administration at this point would just, I, I mean, is, is probably 
and I know this sounds like really mean, but they're probably thrilled that there is some problem in the world right now that they're not directly sure. responsible for, right? This is this one. This one's probably okay. Barring what we find out about Hunter, this one's probably not his fault, right? So I don't know. I, I it's probably is. I'm just gonna stick with that. <laughs> All right, let's go to this next one because this is interesting along the same thread. And it has to do with what the CEO of Pfizer said at the World Economic Forum. By the way, if, if you ever want to listen to a series of sometimes pretty scary statements, uh, World Economic Forum is a great place Can to I go. just say the PR disaster? Do these people have nobody working PR for them? Who on earth at Pfizer thought well, it was wait, smart wait. to go to the World we Economic Forum? Wait, wait, we haven't told the audience what he said yet. Okay, yeah, let, let, right, let's, so let's get to that. To All right, so Pfizer CEO Albert, do you want me to play the clip real quick? Yeah, yeah, play the clip. Play the clip. This is even better. It there is a, basically biological chip that it is in the tablet, and once you take the tablet and dissolves into your stomach, sends a signal that you took the tablet. So imagine the applications of that, uh, compliance, uh, the insurance companies to know that the medicines that patients should take, they do. Pause, pause, pause. This sounds, this sounds like something Alex Jones would have said like a year ago. Like, can you, you, can you just, can you just, I can see Alex Jones getting really, really upset on his show and being like, Pfizer's going to come up with this pill with a a chip in it. And that chip, once your pill dissolves, is going to send messages out to the World Health Organization and Pfizer about what you're doing and whether or not you took their pill. And I can see PolitiFact and everyone else going out like, Alex Jones is a moron. Independent fact checkers have found this to be false. Yeah, Yeah. that is not actually happening. The CEO of Pfizer. Repeat what he said because some people might not have understood. Here's what he said. Pfizer CEO, Alter Barula, explains Pfizer's new tech to the Davos crowd said ingestible pills, a pill with a tiny chip that sent a wireless signal to relevant authorities when the pharmaceutical has been digested. Imagine the compliance. The fact that he said, imagine, imagine the, the compliance. compliance. This that should be the new logo. That should be the new motto of Pfizer. Yeah. Imagine the compliance. Who makes more money when you are forced to take a pill like that? I think Pfizer. Well, yeah. and, and yeah. And okay. So now who can charge more money for yeah. having this type of, Oh compliance? yeah. They can charge more for it too. Okay. Okay. So first off, I actually would be willing to bet if you were to dig through the Alex Jones archives, you actually might find Probably. something where he said, we need, to, we need to have a jar, an Alex Jones was right jar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh. Doesn't Tim Pool have one of those? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't because, know. But, but I mean, seriously, like. If it, in all honesty, because I, I, I will humbly admit where I am wrong. Yeah. If I had heard Alex Jones say that verbatim a year and a half ago, two years ago, let alone three years ago before COVID, I would have been like, you're out of your damn mind. You're a nut job. Yeah. But hearing the no. CEO of Pfizer say this at the world. So this is going back right. to what I was saying this before. This is the sort of thing you expect him to like get caught on a hot mic saying, not or, like at the World Economic Forum. Like we have a great idea. Better yet, <laughs> this is something that I would expect to be a hoax that yeah. has no evidence of, let alone videotaped public yeah. Yeah. recordings of. Can I just make a note of one other point? just that kind of correlates with all of this is um, we talked about, you know, why, why it seems like there's just one sickness after another sickness, after another sickness and Fauci trying to remain relevant. Part of this is they don't want the cash flow to slow down. They don't want to stop receiving all those government dollars. So they really do need more of this. And what's really interesting to me is how many people just five years ago 
were just flipping out over big pharma and pro- rightfully so. You know, there there's a lot of issues with big pharma. And there are are people especially on the left who used to used to rant and rave about big pharma and how much they're costing and and how this is horrible for poor people and now they love they're getting pharma. tattoos fact, on their arms saying yes. Pfizer, you know, insert date here. That's when I got my COVID vaccine. Yes, it's crazy. And so now big pharma is no longer something they hate. They are now apostles, you know, or disciples of big yeah. pharma. And it's wild to me how quickly something like that can flip. And and you show that to them and you say, you're you're actually now proselytizing for big pharma and, and, uh, and now this is, it's almost like it's become your religion. You have unfriended people. You have you have cut people out of your life for the sake of whatever Big Pharma says. And you don't even question it. You oh. don't even question what they're telling you. You don't follow the money. And it's just, to me, there are, there are a whole host of people who have just become so irrelevant to me because I, I see that they can't think for themselves anymore. And this... This type of thing is just swept right under the rug. No well, big deal. Is, it, yeah, it's, I saw someone say it's amazing how quick we went from rage against the machine to rage on behalf of the machine. Right. <laughs> and and you you look at you look at something like this, and th- there are some that will look at this from a purely like an, an efficiency perspective. Utilitarianism. Yes, and and this is this is always a problem. This is always something that that is kind of fascinating to me. Um, They'll look at it from an efficiency standpoint. They'll say, well, wait a second. No, no, no. By doing something like this, we'll, we'll actually expend fewer resources because we'll have the ability to, to tell and we'll have the ability to understand who's safe and who's not. Like, why wouldn't you want this? And, and that is amazing to me. Like, I, I, had a, I, I made a tweet once about this whole disinformation board that they were starting. And a criminal defense attorney, a lefty criminal defense attorney from Northern Virginia went on my Twitter page and said, they're just trying to stop disinformation. What exactly do you have a problem with that? I'm like, do you, seriously, like you're a liberal, right? You're supposed to be a liberal. You don't have a problem with a government board I love- potentially, potentially silencing or punishing speech because the government has decided something is disinformation. And it, like, I'm looking at this going, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. So I Pfizer would like for you I, to take their crazy pills, honey. <laughs> they'll they'll know. They'll, they'll know, know when you've taken it. And they will know if you've digested um, that crazy pills. Okay, so I this gets into a larger issue that I have with a, a unique level of naivete of where people are like, I don't understand why you're against the Save the Puppies Act. Yes. It says Save the Puppies Act in the yeah. title. And, and like it, okay, I I hate using the comparisons, but to use a Nazi comparison again, what do you have against the National Socialist German Workers Party? They're for the workers. <laughs> like, like it, just because your title, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, why do you have an issue with that? Yeah. They're a Democratic People's Republic. Yeah. <laughs> like, people, just because something says it in the title doesn't mean it actually is in reality. Like, it, it just... It blows my mind that you can you can have something called the disinformation board and then you can have people defend it because they're saying, well, what do you have against combating disinformation? Who gets to... De- 
Well, and, and news flash. They never stopped asking. Genius. Who gets to, who gets to define what inf- what disinformation is? I've got a I've got a bet for you, Mister Northern Virginia liberal lawyer. Let's create a disinformation board and let's put Donald Trump in yeah. charge of you it. Like you still it want still? to be in favor yeah. of it at that point? Oh, that that was that was how I that was how you instantly get him to understand that that might be a problem. But like, okay, let me let me rephrase it. Donald Trump establishes disinformation board with Department of Homeland Security. Now you hate it, right? See, that's and that's the difference. I hate it. Either way, like Daryl Issa came out and made a statement about like, well, we disagree with the sort of person that he was going to put in charge of the disinformation board because she had a history of disinformation and a bunch of people like me and Hannah Cox and like, you know, we all came out and said, uh, no, we disagree with it existing in the first place because the government should not be in charge of essentially silencing, punishing, or, or trying to slow speech because they've decided something is misinformation. Like how, how is this not? How is this not a general concern among free people anymore? They- well, I, I think that they they have been uh, kind of lulled into a security of knowing that their side controls all of the arguments and their side is who will be fact-checking in 90% of these cases. In fact, speaking of disinformation, now, I mean, there are there are news organizations now saying things that you and I would have been banned for before. Mm-hmm. I mean, things that, that you lost your TikTok account over. Yeah. I mean, it's wild to me that... Give us an I mean, example. Um, the... Daily Mail UK is saying uh, COVID now ne- less deadly than the flu. Do you remember when oh every when gosh. people would compare it to the flu and they were like, oh, how dare you compare there it to the flu? There is a point in time in the pandemic where if I had tweeted those exact words, my account would have been suspended. Yes. Right. But now YouTube that- YouTube would have demonetized you first and they would have kicked you off their-, their they, they might have just straight up deplatformed. Yeah. So like government fi- figures now estimate, uh, let's see. Um, I mean, TikTok did literally- Deplatform us. Yes. Yeah. They're saying that that the um, mortality rate for COVID has plunged sevenfold to as little as 0.03%, meaning it killed effectively um, 3,300 people, uh, or sorry, one in 3,300 people. And they said for comparison, seasonal flu infection uh, fatality rate sits at about 0.05%, higher, but l- let me higher add, than the 0.02%. Three percent, and that's what's really, really. To me, this is interesting because now they're allowed to say this now. Now that the panic is over, and now that the government feels like it has a pretty solid control over things, well, they're the allowed question, to though, say this now. When they say it now, too, what are they saying it in service toward? Like, what do they want you to do? Oh, now? oh, they want you to vaccinate your children against the flu. And they want to be able to make a flu vaccination now mandatory because now they're saying that after two years of no, virtually no flu season, two years of no flu season, this new emerging flu season is going to be catastrophic, especially for children. So you better get your children vaccinated against the flu. And you and I, we all know that they're never giving you the correct strain for the flu virus, that's always been a thing, always. And I'll probably get banned for saying that. And it's just kind of, I, I, I don't never know. never get it's, va- it's vaccinated for the flu. Well, it, it, I've the, never it, had a flu vaccine. Here's the problem. I feel like anytime something like this comes up, I just feel like under the bottom there should be a Chiron that says, brought to you by Pfizer. But it, it's, and again, it's, can it's I, not Can I point I, out one more interesting yeah. fact about this? Because um, we're talking about censorship. And we're talking about fact checkers and everything else. And when you say something like this, we would normally end up with a little denotation at the bottom of the post saying, oh, 
fact-checked to be mostly false or mostly true or partially false for context. And, and so then they need to like make sure that you understand that I didn't say, I didn't give you all the parameters. I just gave you a few facts and that was incomplete and therefore fact-check false. And um, the other thing I wanted to mention is that I had heard quite a few um, stories about them now comparing COVID to the flu and saying that, that the flu is now worse than COVID. So I did a quick little Google search and I, another quick little Google search, tried to reword it a few different ways, could not find it. So I went over to DuckDuckGo and boom, I found a whole bunch of them. So make make what you will out, out of that. Oh, it, it, okay. And speaking to that, that actually is a great segue into this next um, topic that we're going to have. And that is the whole issue of the World Health Organization having their meeting with their, I think, 193 member um, nations. And the Biden administration back in, I believe, January of this year sent over a series of amendments that they wanted to the way that the World Health Organization does business. And this caused a lot of people to come out on the right and say that essentially we were giving up our sovereignty to the World Health Organization if these amendments went through. And so I decided to look at them. I read, I read through the amendments. I read the various articles and concerns about it. Um, but again, to Tina's point, what I found interesting is I, I, have, I have heard all kinds of people talk about this. And when I did a straight Google search for this, couple articles. And then of course, a bunch of stuff with the white house and, you know, PolitiFact coming out saying, Oh, this is untrue and whatnot. But again, you go to someplace like DuckDuckGo and all of a sudden you can actually get the information that you're looking for. So there, there's no question that, that Google has been totally complicit on trying to push people toward the information, which, you know, the, the state wants you to have. But here's what I found when I read through the amendments and everything else. And, and again, just to, to kind of sum up some of the concerns and there's various people talking about this, you know, on, on the right, uh, CBN news was talking about it. Matt Staver from a uh, chairman of the Liberty council. Um, you had another, um, individual, um, what was his name? Uh, Dr. Peter, uh, Bregan, uh, who was talking about it as well. Their, their, my, their major concern, what they were putting forth, Marjorie Green Taylor, Marjorie Taylor Green, sorry, Marjorie Taylor Green. Sorry <laughs> about that. Yeah. Um, they were all essentially saying that what this is, is this going to be an assault on American sovereignty. That the concern was is that this these new amendments were going to give the World Health Organization essentially the ability to circumvent U.S. law um, or circumvent any member nation's law and come in and impose certain restrictions, you know, mandatory requirements, et cetera, in the event of a pandemic. So I've got a quick question. Yeah. Can you summarize what these things are? So a lot of, yeah, what the, a lot of the amendments do, and, and here's the justification that they're using for some of these amendments. And, and part of it is, um, and a lot of it has to do with reporting requirements for, for member nations. So if you are a member of the World Health Organization, there's certain reporting requirements that you have. Now, the way it currently exists is that if, if there's a concern that either you identify or the World Health Organization identifies, all right, there's a collaborative process that needs to take place before that stuff goes out to a larger audience. Mm -hmm. Now, the, the legitimate critique that the people that support these amendments are saying is, well, China didn't do that. I was about to say, right? I have a feeling to not be a conspiracy theorist for yeah, a yeah. moment and to try to give Biden somewhat of a benefit of a doubt is that there might be a chance that, if anything else, superficially, the reason that they're pushing for this is because I remember in January 2020, when the World Health Organization was tweeting, in fact, that tweet is still up, yeah. is the all-time worst tweet ever made, ever. 
about how basically, oh, well, the Chinese authorities told us there's nothing nothing to see here, no problem, yeah. no issues, no it, it doesn't transmit between humans, no no problem. And then it was like literally like two weeks later, it was oops. like in the US, it was in Italy, it was in the UK. Yeah. Big time, big oof moment right there. So so yeah, so large so again, you you can look if you're if we're prying and we always emphasize this on this show. We are not trying to do straw man arguments. We're not trying to present the weakest version of the left's argument and then knock it down and pat ourselves on the back and how smart and pretty we are. We're trying to actually understand the issue. And so, again, the the one concern that I think people on the, the right would look at and be like, yeah, China got away with bloody murder this last time around, and the World Health Organization just kind of repeated whatever the, the CCP's talking points were. And so some people can look at this and be like, okay, well, this is going to be a mechanism where they can share information faster. They don't need to, they don't need essentially permission from the member nation in order to share that information or share the World Health Organization's concerns. And if that's all it was, I think most people would be like, okay, I get it. The problem is none of us trust what the World Health Organization is going to do. None of us trust what the Biden administration is going to do. I shouldn't say none of us. None of us on the, the right typically do. Because of everything else that is going on, it's because of everything you did for the last two years, it's because we know you you have hand, you've attempted to hand over sovereignty before through treaties because treaties are legally binding. This is one of the things a lot of Americans don't understand, and th there's a reason why treaties are supposed to be ratified by the U.S. Senate because they carry the force of law. Because they carry the force of law, they are legally binding on U.S. citizens. So if you're going to be a member of the World Health Organization and essentially has treaty-like components then now all of a sudden you're legally binding American citizens. And so, yes, there is a concern that what's going to end up happening. So even if these amendments don't expressly state, hey, if you decide there's a pandemic, we just hand over the Constitution and the World Health Organization gets to run everything. No, we're not saying the amendments say that. What we're saying is that more and more what we're doing is we're not requiring the World Health Organization to collaborate with the member states that they're reporting on or that they're potentially marshalling resources in order to help. And then finally, the, the real concern is going to be What's the enforcement mechanism? I, I, uh, I, I think that that gets to the heart of this. Yeah. And to be completely honest, I'd be willing to bet that the average conservative, I mean, I feel this way. I think the average conservative looks at this and thinks, why are we in the World Health Organization? Yeah. Because I, I'd, I'd also be willing to bet that we probably give them, my assumption is, several billion dollars a year. One to two, maybe three oh, billion it's, it's a year. It's like, some, like less than... I think less than 20% of their overall funds are from like the dues you just get to be a member nation. It's probably from us because we, lot the U.S. funds us. everything. We fund the biggest chunk of the U.N.'s budget. So I wouldn't be surprised if we also fund the biggest chunk of the World Health Organization's budget. And my response is these are the same people that totally – they had one job and they could not have failed more miserably in doing that one job in January, February, and March 2020 where all the way up until it was too late to do anything about it, they were telling us this isn't an issue because they were parroting, as you said, the CCP's talking points. So my, the biggest question that I've got is not whether or not this is going to be taking away sovereignty. The biggest question I have is why are we still in the World Health Organization? Mm -hmm. I think that that's what most conservatives, I, I think the average conservative would be supportive of us withdrawing from some of these organizations that not only do they not do the job that they expressly say that they're supposed to be doing, in some cases they're doing literally the exact opposite or they're they're mm -hmm. failing so miserably at the task that they well, are one of the reasons to. why is because these are here's one of these 
uh, one fun fact that people don't realize is that the Who is staffed with political professionals, not medical professionals. I don't think the band is staffed with. No, sorry. <laughs> um, we're, not, we're not talking about the good. Who. The, the World Health Organization is staffed with political professionals. That's not surprising. And not medical professionals. So people should not be putting their faith. I, in, I will say this, though. I mean, political political people tend to have political motivations. And I will just say the who has been. I mean, they were at first they were covering up for China. And, um, you know, it's let's see. They. Downplayed the the spread of the virus as coming from Wuhan, so they downplayed that. They covered up the rate of increase of cases and the death rate. They praised, you know, oppressive Chinese regimes handling of the abuse of the of human, or sorry, abuses of human rights and ethics. Um, lied about the death rate in China and then scared the rest of the world uh, with with a false death rate. Um, because we all know, like at first, they were saying the death rate was like 3%, really, really high. And it turned out, I mean, let's see here, 3.4% was the death rate. That's what they thought, or they said, in order to scare us all. And now we're looking at it, oh, 0.03. Now, to be fair, the virus has weakened over time, but, which is okay, what viruses do. But to also be fair is those were just reported cases. No, you're they right. They didn't know who else really had it because they didn't know how long the oh, incubation there's... period was. And the fact of the matter is, is I mean, there are a lot of families who probably only one person went and got tested for COVID, but the whole family caught COVID. And so your numbers are wildly inaccurate because they're they're only basing it on what they've actually seen come into the hospital. What? And, and... and there was no way to test it in the beginning either. Well, looking, and look, so there's just a lot here about the who and why we should not be. Well, and looking to, so again, why do we join international organizations? Well, theoretically, you join them because they're actually going to be some sort of benefit. So like NATO, the big benefit of joining NATO was it was a check on Soviet power. You know, the, the question now is, is, are the other member states actually living up to their end of the bargain, to which the answer is mostly no. Mostly no. Yeah. Mostly no. Some are, mostly no. Um, but yeah, if you look at the top, Last year's, this was an article in 2020, last year's top contributors of the World Health Organization. So assessed, which is, that's like what you're supposed to pay as being a part of it, for the United States in 20, their 2018-2019 cycle was $237 million. And their voluntary, which that's kind of an interesting way to put it, the voluntary contributions to the United States was $656 million. The next largest contributor, which was all voluntary, was the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation at $531 million. After that, it was the United Kingdom with 43 million assessed and 392 million voluntary. And then it goes down through there, the Gavi Alliance, Germany, Japan, UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, which I think is funny because they're largely taking U.S. dollars and then just handing them to the World Health Organization. But yeah, we, we, we are huge contributors to this. And now Biden is asking for these amendments, which again, I think on, on their face, if I just read the letter of the amendment, is there anything in there which specifically says that the World Health Organization can come in and essentially force lockdowns in the United States? No. The problem is, is that once again, you're giving this additional authority, this additional reporting authority to the World Health Organization. There's going to be an enforcement mechanism where they can either fine you or they can do something else. And then inevitably, when that still doesn't solve the problem because the World Health Organization has fundamental problems, then they're going to ask for stronger enforcement mechanisms. Or more funding. Or more, fu both. Or they will both, ask for both, yeah. guaranteed. And that's why when everyone is saying, what are you talking about? Nothing in these amendments say... Screw you. I'm sorry. 
but that's where I'm at right now with these fact checkers and everything else. It's like you guys think when, when you're fact checking anybody that you don't agree with, you will, you will read into everything that they say in order to come to the conclusion that you want. But then when something like this happens with an organization that we know failed during the last pandemic, where we know had an inappropriate relationship with the CCP, you you don't read into anything. You give them, but you 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 give them the benefit of the doubt yeah. over and over again. But you will never do that yeah. with any sort of statement from somebody on the right. Yeah, it, it, you know what it is. It's it's the response. It goes back to an argument that we've talked about repeatedly on this podcast. The great quote from Frederick Bastiat that socialists confuse the distinction between society and government. Me as a conservative saying I don't want us to be in the World Health Organization, when the left hears that statement, what they hear is, I oppose health. Yeah. I oppose global cooperation on, yeah. on pandemics. I, I want more people to get sick and die. That's what yeah. the left genuinely hears when they when they see stuff like this. And it, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about, like, how could you vote against the Save the Puppies Act? It says save the puppies yeah. in the title. Yeah. It, it It is almost this, like, childish understanding of how the world works or the motivations of certain people or the results of what people do. You just look at the title or you look at the stated intentions of what a group of people or an individual or an organization says, and then you you ascribe value to that based on what the supposed intentions are, not what the results are. If you're judging by the results, the World, uh, the world Health Organization is a miserable failure. Yeah. Again, go back to go back and read the tweets from them from January 2020. They were a complete failure. Well, and they're going to argue that well, yeah, this is why we need these amendments. And yet the the left when somebody on the right says, you know, I've got questions about why we're spending so much money and seeing so little return or I've got questions about why we're potentially ceding more authority to this organization or I've got questions of why the heck we're even in this organization. Yeah. Suddenly it's you're against health. You're yeah. against helping you know, people in poor places, you know, prevent them from, from, you know, catching diseases and stuff like, like, no, it's, I'm against wasteful bureaucracies that, that try to increase their, their power at the expense of my country's sovereignty or take more of my tax dollars. Or, or even this, let's put it, let's put it this way, because the other argument that you're going to see from the left on this is you guys are so worried about sovereignty. Well, you're not going to care much about sovereignty when a pandemic is ripping through your country and destroying your economy and killing people. And that's why we need more. And, and again, if you're telling me that that's conspiratorial, go look at what the left says about climate change. I mean, I was just reading an article that was not put out by some like, you know, moon bat space cadet here, right? It's put out by a prominent figure essentially saying that, well, you know, the biggest thing standing in the way of us achieving genuine, you know, good climate policy is these nations sticking to their sovereignty. Okay, let's go in and assess this for a second. I can understand the superficial plausibility of, well, when you know what the right thing to do is, you, you get everyone together and then you go do it. And, and you pool your resources in order to make sure that it happens and, and you cooperate. Okay, I get that. And, and that does make sense if what you're doing is the right thing. If you've properly diagnosed the problem and you've come up with a solution that actually makes sense. That everyone agrees yeah, on. That, that's that, the big that thing. I can, that I, I can understand that. But that's not what's happening with government power. What you're doing is you're saying that this group of people has come up or has identified a problem and is coming up with a solution. And now they're going to implement it, whether you like it or not. And if it means you lose your sovereignty, if it means you lose your freedom, if it means you lose your property, if it means you lose, you know, fundamental choices that are, are existentially necessary to your life, tough. And there's no other way to solve the problem except through this sort of centralized government action. 
And that's the part that just drives me nuts. There are so many different ways to solve various problems. And the left will always come back with, well, what's your solution? And if your solution doesn't include the creation of some sort of massive government bureaucracy or redistribution of wealth or some sort of central authority based off of experts that are going to make decisions for millions, if not billions of people, then you don't have a real solution. That is garbage. Absolute garbage. I feel like a lot of these people were like at Woodstock in the 60s being like, fight the man and the man's trying to keep <laughs> you they down. Became the man. Yeah. They became and it's the, the man. man. And who was the man? The man was that hawkish government that was all about power and control and getting into wars and things of that was, nature. And now all these people that used to want to stick it to the man, right? They're now, they're now the hands and feet of the man. They, they <laughs> Some are, of them are the man. Oh, yeah. and yes, and they love the man and they worship the man and the man is now their religion. And it's like if they can't even do any introspection to realize that that's how far they've fallen, boy, uh, I mean, they, they need fact checkers in their own mind, I guess. It's whatever the government tells them. I, I it's think great. It, well, and again, it's whatever the government tells them as long as people they like are in charge of the government. And, mm -hmm. and look, I will, I will fully admit that I know people on the right that fall into the exact same trap. That, sure. That all of us, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, if it's their person trying to do a disinformation board or if it's their person doing this sort of thing, they're like, oh, well, they, they have good intent. Ladies and gentlemen, the number one thing that is supposed to separate liberty-minded people is the idea that we no don't one should trust, have that power. We don't trust anyone wielding this sort of power, not simply because it usually ends up being highly ineffective and in many cases immoral, but because it has there's a corrupting nature to and it. And it's violent. It's well, a there, there's a corrupting nature to it, and this is the part that never gets talked about. Right? If you remember nothing else from what we talk about right now, please remember this. We always talk about absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? Lord Acton's statement. And we always think what that means is, is it corrupts the person in power. And that's true. It does. But it also corrupts you. And the way that it corrupts you is that if you buy into that philosophy, you start to believe that the person in power has some sort of you know, mandate from heaven where they can make things. And if, and if they don't, if they don't fix the problem, it's because they were the wrong person for the job, not because the mechanism that you're using is inappropriate. Yes. And so what it does is it doesn't just, absolute power doesn't just corrupt the person that is wielding the power. It corrupts everybody else that lives and believes and has this expectation that more government power is the best way to mm -hmm. solve problems. And questioning that government is just so taboo. That is oh, and it becomes heresy at that point. They're, they're thinking, why in the world would you ever question this and question their motives? And it's funny because Nick and I have, even in our own hometown here in Culpeper, been called... Uh, Oh, who was somebody said that I was, I was crazy. Tina's crazy because <laughs> Tina blames the government for everything. <laughs> and they, they're just very anti-government. Anytime they make uh, articles about us in the Culpepper Star Exponent or, or other outlets, they talk about us being anti-government. And what's really crazy to me is the fact that we're now the rebellious ones. Yeah. We are, we're the good little Christian kids who got <laughs> married and, and, uh, and we're on the right and we like to follow rules, right? No, we're the, re we are the rebellious ones now. And that's, what's really crazy is there's this underlying, well, I don't understand why you don't just blindly follow the man. The, the man has our best interest at heart, don't you know? And so we all need to just listen to what the man says and implement that. And your lack of compliance is disturbing. 
Nick, how do you think we should make the argument on this? Well, so let's do this. When it comes to making the argument with respect to what is the government's appropriate role when it comes to managing a medical crisis, there's a couple of things we have to take into consideration. First of all, understand something that where the left is usually coming from has a certain degree of superficial plausibility. You have a pandemic, you have some sort of widespread health crisis. So of course, you would want the government to centralize power and resources in order to be able to respond to it quickly and effectively. That seems to make sense. The thing that we need to get people to understand is that first of all, when the government gets this kind of power and authority, it is very tempting for them to keep it. And so now, even when they have something legitimate like a pandemic and they get that sort of power, they will constantly look for some other justification in order to keep or maintain that power. And when we talk about Lord Acton's quote about absolute power corrupts absolutely, we need to understand that doesn't just affect the person in power. It also affects the population because then people start to expect that if you just had the right person in charge with the right experts surrounding them, with the right amount of power and money, they can fix everything. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not how the world works. Most of the problems that you address throughout your life are better responded to by free people working in voluntary cooperation within the marketplace rather than some sort of centralized authority compelling and coercing a particular one-size-fits approach. So the thing that you need to understand when you're talking to somebody from the left on this, first thing you need to establish is you also want to address the problem. Yes, you might not consider monkeypox to be the same concern that they do, but it is a problem and you do want to address it. The question is, is that you're recognizing something called cost-benefit analysis and the idea that giving government more power is not always the best solution. And so the thing you want to emphasize is how do you effectively address the problem? And again, amazingly enough, when you allow free people to make their own decisions, some people will make bad ones, but most people will actually make reasonable decisions if they're given the proper amount of information and a certain degree of transparency with respect to what is going on so that they can adjust their lives appropriately. And that's the sort of thing that we're trying to encourage. Now, is there a role for the government to play within something like a pandemic? Sure. But the idea that you're going to give them complete control and then you're going to shut down dissent leads to what we've seen over the last couple of years, which is the government shutting you down or working through various corporate interests, whether it be Pfizer in order to give them a bunch of money or whether it be social media companies in order to threaten or coerce them or essentially encourage them to shut down dissenting opinions. If you're not confident enough in the decision that you're attempting to make in order to address a medical issue to allow for the free flow of information and communication, then I'm going to get very skeptical of not only what you're doing in that pandemic, I'm going to get skeptical of everything that you do in the future. And so a lot of the people that are expressing that concern now, we're being entirely reasonable. And it's important that you insist on that. It's important that you insist that you do want to address the problem. You do recognize that there is a problem. You would like to see more free market oriented solutions where people are able to make their decisions based from a response perspective on how it affects them individually, but also a response mechanism with respect to the allocation of resources that are necessary in order to meet that threat. And the last thing you should always do is say, you know what? I don't trust any government that is not only willing to compel me to do a particular thing, but then is willing to shut down all dissent to include dissent, which six months later, 12 months later, a year and a half later, comes out to be far more in line with what was actually going on than what the government narrative was at this time. So this is not just an argument about sovereignty. This is not just an argument about freedom. This is an acknowledgement that individuals being able to make their own decisions usually produces far better results than some sort of government-compelled, top-down approach. And if you can look at it from that angle to where you're actually addressing the problem, not just talking about sovereignty, although that's very important, 
but explaining why those things actually achieve better results, you'll probably get a lot farther in the conversation. That was great. Oh God, Christian just <laughs> Christian raised the argument. So we're that's how Christian I know. That's approved. how I did a good job. That's how I know I did a good job. Yeah, I I I I think that you hit the nail on the head right there. Um, are we free? Are we now in the the speakeasy? Yeah, session? sure. You got something you want to talk awesome. about? We can talk about UFOs now. No, <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> okay, so for our audience, real oh, quick. Oh man, I, I just, forgot my tinfoil hat. I'm gonna you guys. This, I'm gonna set this up. Yeah, being that we're talking about all this stuff right now, so. <laughs> there was the Congress, again, using your tax dollars, decided that they were going to have the first meeting they had had in, what, like 60 years? Yeah, it was like, I think 1968 or 69 was the last year they had a congressional on hearing U on this topic. A congressional review on UFOs. And Christian was following this very intently. It was actually a really boring hearing. <laughs> it was no. It was so high. It was hyped to be like... They they were making it out to be like they they were gonna wheel the alien into the room oh, wow. and like and like do a sit down interview with him and everything. Wow, with like an <laughs> autopsy yeah. right there. Yeah, on but, the but the alien had monkeypox. They, so they made it sound like it. that Oprah was gonna be there and like sit down and interview the alien oh, in person. And, uh, the alien caught COVID and and couldn't make it. Instead, it was like these congressional leaders on this committee because it wasn't everybody. It was just a few members of Congress that were asking these um these two individuals that were part of what the the Pentagon is now calling it the U. UAP task force because apparently UFO is stigmatized. So yeah. now it's the same thing. UAP is unidentified aerial phenomena. It's uh. UFO. But anyway, so so they have these two people that represent this task force that Congress set up to investigate this matter. And they show up and the questions that are being asked to them are actually fairly basic questions. And it was like every single answer was, you know, we, we can talk more about that in the closed session. Or it would be <laughs> We don't have an answer to that, but we can get we can get back to you on that. There, there was this one congressman. He was actually Democrat. Um, I can't remember his name. His last name was like Gallagher or something like that. But I I can't remember I've who seen he his was. But show. he um he he asked these two individuals about these supposed incidents back in I think it was like the seventies with um UFOs that appeared over certain nuclear silos and apparently the weapons were disabled while this was happening. There there were a couple of these these cases that aren't super well documented, but there's been a lot of like talk within military circles of this happening. And I don't know if, if anybody's actually found any sort of files confirming it or any incident reports confirming it. But he was asking them about this this supposed incident that had taken place, you know, 40 something years ago. And um the two guys there were basically like, we've never heard of this. And and the guy was the congressman was like don't you think that's the first thing you should investigate is, is you know, our, our nuclear arsenal apparently being disactivated? Well, look, the reason why I knew that this hearing was going nowhere is because that guy from, what is it, TLC, the ancient aliens with the big hair. <laughs> if that guy wasn't there, is was the foremost expert in the world. Yeah, uh, the, the fact that they didn't have him testify. Yeah, I, I just I was like, well, this isn't real. Okay, so so question: You've been in the military. You weren't in the Navy or the Air Force, but no, no, I was I was in the proper. Branch, did you or continue. anybody that you know ever have any run-ins with uh, with UFOs? With UFOs, yeah. did me or no? None. No. no. Well, I mean, again, so a UFO is is a Anything unidentified sky, flying. Yeah. It doesn't object. mean alien. Yeah, yeah. So did, did I ever? But see it could. Anything? No, it could. I, 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 I did it. Well, I mean, sure, I can look up and see things all the time. They're like that thing's flying. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I was really hoping that the hearing would be a lot more like that SNL uh, sketch <laughs> that has uh, Colleen Rafferty. Yes. In it. Wait a second. Do we have that real quick? Can I have it. Oh, uh, I guess. Well, I don't know. We probably can't can play it. We probably can. Right. Can we show it? Or would they, would YouTube tell us that we're. 
I guess we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> Worth it. No, yeah, that that was Saturday Night Live, which is conspicuously unfunny nowadays. Back when it was funny, this was... I don't know what... I th- This is a blind reaction This is one me. of the I've, funniest I don't think I've even heard of this. I've ever seen them do. Do you have it? Are we going to watch this? Okay. Is Tina sending well, it? Okay. So, yeah, the, the hearing was a huge letdown. I think there was a lot of people that were, like, again, expecting them to, like, wheel aliens into the room or something like that. And, instead <laughs> and here's it, Bob. <laughs> yeah. Instead, it was just, like, these boring questions. And, and the you see this a lot of... Actually... Ironically enough, you see this a lot when the Federal Reserve chairman speaks to Congress, where he uses such thick lingo yeah. that it just confuses even experts in the field. Yeah, it's yeah. called Fed speak. There's actually like a there's like a Wikipedia article about it, like like yeah. just using the complex language to confuse people. And you had something similar here, where it was like occasionally they talk about something that sounded actually really important. If you could spend 15 minutes dissecting the three sentence explanation and then simplify the words in order to be like. Oh my gosh, they're talking about, you know, an instance where like a military aircraft almost crashed, yeah. you know, chasing one of these things. Like that sounds like a big deal, but you know, the, the way that they would word it was like almost intentionally done yeah. to make people get bored and stop watching. Yeah. It's well, it's a big is, cover up and we all know it. So let's <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's go live now to what the interview should have looked like. If you come back to the episode and this section is muted, it's because YouTube decided we. It's called Close Encounter it. SNL. You can just look it up yeah, on YouTube and watch it SNL. yourself. But let's go ahead and look at what the what We're the interview should have looked like. The NSA and this is Special Agent Kirkpatrick. Now we know you've all been through quite an ordeal, so we appreciate you making the trip to Washington on such short notice. Yes, you three experienced the first verified case of alien abduction, so naturally you are of great interest to the United States government. It's nuts, man. I mean, <laughs> we're just small-town buds who saw a UFO in the woods. I mean, now we're hanging out with the government. Okay. Now, after the blue light pulled you into the spacecraft, what is your next memory? Uh, I came to and saw a beautiful being made of, like, a beautiful, calming light. Yeah, same here. That being touched my head, I felt every emotion in its purest form. It was amazing, and I cried, sir. Okay, and you, Miss Rafferty? Wow. What floor were you guys on? I woke up in a dirty metal dome and uh, 40 little gray aliens watched me pee in a steel bowl. <laughs> Wait, no, 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 keep going. I took the bowl, walked out. Interesting. Were these beings also bathed in light? Uh, no, no, they were uh, gray with big fat eyes, little mouths. They just uh, stared while I peed. <laughs> I don't think I was dealing with the top brass. <laughs> and how did they instruct you to urinate? Was that telepathically? Uh, no, no. I, uh, I woke up, I had to pee like a camel. So uh, I started peeing and uh, one of the gray aliens slapped the wall and pointed at the bowl. So I got the hint, I kind of ducked, walked over the bowl, peed in it. Yes, I, I see. Now, when you all awoke, were you clothed? Um, I was wrapped in, like, a robe made out of warm, glowing energy. Yeah, like a blanket made out of pure love. Yeah, a little different for me. Um, I, uh, I had my shirt I came in with, but my pants were gone. So, uh, was out. It's full porky pig in a drafty dome. Now, did you all stay on the same ship the entire time, or...? Well, you know, my body did, 
But my consciousness was shown what lies beyond time and space. It was so beautiful. I'm sorry, I'm just crying about, just thinking about it a little bit. Do you need a tissue? What? No, I'm sorry, I just, I'll use my shirt. Um, the alien showed my mind the furnace of all creation, what we would call God. What? <laughs> uh, I'm going to okay, stop that... it here. <laughs> We're not going to be able to show all of that. <laughs> that was funny because they like ask her, like, do you think this was some sort of scientific experiment? She's like, nah, it seemed real off book. <laughs> <laughs> it was really off book. And then, <laughs> and then the way that they dropped her back off was, anyway, every single one of these sketches has her losing her pants some crazy way. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and some crazy uh, alien being, but then these other people have like a completely different experience. But anyway, uh, anybody that was waiting for those hearings to sound anything like that was sorely disappointed. Sorely disappointed. So there was one, because I, I, I know we're at the very end now of the speakeasy. There was one interesting fact that came out of that hearing that was kind of lost in all of the the jargon and lingo and boring you know, Fed style speak and whatnot. And they basically summarized that it's one of four possible scenarios. Either these things, whatever they are, are some form of natural phenomenon, you know, cameras not working properly, people mm -hmm. not seeing things properly, or maybe they're drones or they're balloons. E even if they are real, you know, they, they might be something like that. Or they're Chinese or Russian, probably. I mean, maybe British or French, but probably Chinese or Russian. It's, it's probably Putin. Or they're American, yeah. and there's some really, really deep black ops stuff that even other members of the military aren't aware yeah. of. And then the fourth option, they didn't really explicitly say it, but they hinted that you know, it, it wouldn't be from here. And yeah. um, what I found interesting was is that it it looks like the Pentagon is pretty much coming out and saying, like, it it's not option one. Whatever these things are, they're not weather balloons yeah, or drones, yeah. and they're not optical illusions or or false positives that our cameras are. They're real, whatever yeah. they are. And so, if they're not option one, things start getting really interesting really quickly because yeah. that means that there is, based on what we know, there's there is some. And I'm not saying it's alien, but there there is apparently some technology out there supposedly that can do the sort of stuff that you know these pilots and whatnot are claiming that they can do and. That's really interesting because from what we've seen, like these craft or whatever they are can can just do things that we didn't think was physically possible. Sounds, sounds like Elon Musk has a, a mission That's what it is. to <laughs> find the answer to this because if that technology was available, we could get to Mars a lot faster. E Elon has UFOX, which he's launching a lot <laughs> well, of SpaceX. Well, I think we are ignoring a very, we're ignoring a glaringly obvious fact here is that they are finally doing this, I believe. Because the community of uh, UFO watchers, or whatever you, what what is are they growing? officially called? I, can't I don't remember. know. I don't know if they've anyway, got a term. But these people threatened to raid Area Fifty One. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, and they were going to go there, and they were going to just rip this thing wide open. And uh, I think that that's, was the that was I, I think, think that's the, the real reason we're finally phenomenon. hearing some of this. That was one of the funniest phenomena I think I saw on Twitter was the whole push to raid Area What if 51. we all just walked all Good job, I, the folks. tweet was something like, you what if we it. all just walked into Area 51? They couldn't shoot us all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, well, they clearly don't understand the amount of weapons technology. <laughs> all 
All right. Well, on that note, on that fun note of rating Area 51, what have we become, Hamilton? Uh, we went, have we, we went, took this uh, in a totally we went from monkeypox to the WHO to, uh, to aliens, aliens, aliens and UFOs. Wow. We're going to have is, to have a conversation after the show about yeah. going forward. This is the conspiracy yeah. episode I've been asking for. So. <laughs> well, listen, hey, the important thing here is we hope you got some good information with respect to what monkeypox is and what it is not, and also potential concerns with respect to how the government is going to handle it, not just with this, but when we see the sort of technology coming out with Pfizer, when they're literally talking in excited tones and open forums about being able to track whether or not you have ingested a pill that they have sold you and that the automatically reports to the authorities. That's something we should all be concerned about along with what's going on with the WHO and everything else. But ultimately what this comes down to is our job is to help equip you with the information, the information that you can trust and the arguments that you can use to once again, know what you believe, understand why you believe it, make a defense for it because what we all want to do is defend a free society. So thank you for joining us and we'll see you next episode.